Hello, welcome back to Therapy Insiders podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Well, if you're a regular listener, you know we've been away for about three weeks, which is, I'm pretty sure, the longest stretch we've went without releasing a new episode in like two and a half-ish years. Yeah, it's been kind of crazy. So Ben and I were at Ascend event a few weeks ago, and it was awesome. We presented, we got to mingle, I moderated a panel about payment reform. It was just a really good time to to speak to like-minded people. And it, it was cool to hang out with a lot of business owners. One of the one of the biggest things that we tried to push through this podcast, and one of the reasons we really started this podcast is to drive change. And it, it has to be more than just talking about it. It has to be actionable. You have to get out there and you have to do. And our guests that we bring on, we need that from them. That's that's one of the main prerequisites of coming on to Therapy Insiders is you have to be an a change agent, not just somebody that talks a big game. And we are so excited to talk to a, a group from Tennessee, two guys that started a company called Dynamics, and they share their story and how to actually grow a clinic, a business, and a culture. Let's get into it with Russ and Heath. Hello, welcome back to Therapy Insiders Podcast. Dr. Gene Shirakabrad here with Dr. Urson Religioso. Urs, que paso? I'm doing well, Gene. How about you? Doing all right, man. Doing all right. It's um, it's the unofficial fall season. Did you know that? It is? Oh, why, because school started? Well, because it's after Labor Day. Labor Day is like the unofficial cutoff for summer. Oh, am I not supposed to be wearing some color now? I don't know how that works. You're not supposed to be wearing white. Don't pretend like you don't know that. Uh, I don't wear white anyway. Yeah, it's you don't you don't see white very often. But I was um, I was taking my son to preschool this morning, I think, and um, he was like, "Dad, is is it is it fall yet?" And I was like, "Well, kind of." Like, do you ever get in these situations where you, they ask you a question and there's like a, a very clear right answer, but like the real world answer is different and it becomes a really hard explanation for a simple question. You mean like the whole, I keep on digging where, uh, they keep on asking me things like is Kung Fu Panda real? And I keep on saying yes. And then when they say he lives in ancient China and they are like, where is that? And I'm trying to say that he's real, but somehow these cartoons took place a long time ago and they just, they just take a word for it. But as they get a little bit older, it gets harder and harder to explain every year. So how do you justify King Kung Fu Panda being real? Because he's awesome. He's an awesome character. I'm confused. So it, he's like, he, he actually exists real? You tell them that? Like well, Santa Claus funny. real? I feel like my five-year-old now can finally tell the difference between a 3D CG animated cartoon and a flat 2D cell cartoon. Hmm. So, but, but just... In, but when she was four, she couldn't tell the difference. But now she feels like one of them is real, probably because there's depth to it, and one of them is not. So everything that still is CG animated, she still asks if it's real. And I'm like, man, at what point are we going to stop saying this stuff is real? <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably sooner than later. I don't want to shatter her dreams. 
Right. Well, we just we just watched the Jungle Book, the the movie version of it, and um, with my four year old, and uh, we were a little nervous because it, it was so real. Those animals look fantastic. They looked incredible, but there was obviously a lot of death stuff in there. But it was such a good story, and it was such a good imagination and or reimagining, and it kind of brought back our feeling, which is you know the, the whole thing with Disney. It's they understand how to tell a story. It's the same story. Jamie, my wife, actually said that she's like, you know, it's the same story every single freaking time, but. They, they, they make it so relevant and so awesome, but it's all about that story that you tell. Right. All about the villain falling to their death at the end, because there's really no way to kill a major Disney villain other than falling to their death. True. True. I mean, that that's dramatic, right? The fall the, yeah. from going it, from high to low. It's also got to be their own fault, too. Like the the hero and the, the antagonist in a Disney picture can't kill the villain. It's the villain's own fault. Right. They live and die by their decisions. Right. So, but that's a death, right? The death in the story that that's, it's a negative, but it also gives life to the hero. But stories are important. And I think it's also important to share stories that are not necessarily Disney stories, but that have the ups and downs, which is what makes a great story great, right? That you have this, this realistic, unpredictable, real life grind that eventually you hope ends in you being on the on the upside of of that. That's right. Everyone likes to hear a story, and uh, the most compelling stories are the ones that have drama in it, right? That's right, and 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 relevance that that you can resonate with, which is why why I'm really excited to have our guests on today, Urson, because I think it'll be cool to get their story, but it'll also be cool to 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 see where they came from, where they are, and then hear where they're going to see if we can, if we can piece together their story and then maybe check in with them in months to maybe a couple of years and see where that story is kind of like we're doing with Ryan. Um, so that, that gets me really excited to do that. Yeah. I'm excited to hear their story. I don't, uh, I think, you know, their story a little bit better than I do. I do. I do. So let, let's let's introduce them first. We, we have um, the dynamic duo um, of Dynamics Physical Therapy in Tennessee, Russ Huffstetler and Heath Ladd. And the guys were actually our first, the UpDoc Media first practice of the year or practice of the week winners for what they're doing with their practice. And I'll, we'll let them share it. So guys, Thanks for being on the podcast. Really looking forward to chatting with you. Thanks, Gene. We're honored to be here. Hey, Harrison. How's it going? Good, man. How are you doing? Great. Actually, I know Nick Norvelt's Nor Norvelt. <laughs> so bad with names, man. Oh, boy. This is not an easy to pronounce name. He's got like only two. What about your name? My name is Spanish or Italian. Even if it was, even if you pronounce it as Italian, people, it, it would it would be more correct than what I get. Oh, I get Rigoloso, oh, yeah, you should have heard. Uh, oh, you should have heard Heath pronouncing it just about ten minutes ago. It was interesting. Yeah, it was. It was. Well, I mean, hey, look, Nick has like twelve letters in his name, and only two of them are vowels. So, I think my name was a little bit easier. Nick has a T that's thrown right in the middle of his name that's that's silent. So it, that that got me for about the first six months that he was on board with us. So it's Nordvet. Yeah, it's N O R D T V E D T. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Well, tell him I said hi. He he's been following my blog forever. I feel like I do. It. I'll do it. 
Yeah. He's a good guy. All right. A silent oh, well, T. Who, who puts a silent T in a name? Who does that to somebody? Like, <laughs> I have an uh, Nick Norvet does. Nick Norvet. Yeah. It's like Which having question? a G and it's an H. Like I, I have a hard enough name just because it's long and there's a lot of letters and people, people start out on fire and they're so proud of themselves. They're like, sh- 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 and they just like add 17 more letters instead of reading it. But at least it's like, it's, it's there. It is what it is, right? There, there's no like silent G's or, or, or H's or anything like that. It's just, it's just there, right there. Every, yeah. Everything's out there. Typing your name on mobile is a hundred times easier because autocorrect. And when I actually have to type it on a real computer, I'm like, when are computers getting autocorrect? <laughs> so can, like, so is this right? Where's the R? It's coming. It's coming. All right. Let, let's let's um, go back to to somewhere. I mean, I don't even remember where we started, but I think it had something to do with your story. Um, I, I let the you know we, we know that you guys are in Tennessee and right. you guys are private practice owners. Um, take it from there. I, I want to know. Let, let, like, let's go back. First of all, why did you want to get into physical therapy? And then why did you want to start your own practice? So let, let's even take it from there. Not, not only Tennessee, small town, West Tennessee. So, you know, kind of the notion that you've got to be in a, in a large city or a town with that, with a large population, you know, to start your own business or to start your own physical therapy clinic, uh, you know, obviously really isn't true. So uh, the town that we started in is about 6,000 people. Uh, to be honest with you, um, and it's it's a it's a large clinic, a large volume clinic, and it's, it's a booming clinic, uh, and we've expanded around that. So uh, we opened back in 2009. I still remember my first patient. April of 2009 uh, is when my first patient walked through the door, and uh, he actually came to the wrong clinic first uh, and realized he was in the wrong clinic, and then found our our small kind of cardboard box, as I call it, uh, hidden behind a McDonald's here in town. So. That's that's kind of where our story uh, begins to the public, but but there was a larger story that was uh, behind the scenes that I'll let Russ talk about prior to April of two thousand nine. So let me let me ask you this: Do you guys follow the um, the McDonald's rule that if there's a McDonald's there, it's a safe marketing bet to put a, a bet next to it? Well, it's it's kind of unusual. Um, uh, let's see, one, two. Three of our clinics are really close to McDonald's, almost within eye shot. So um, it, it helps. There's no doubt. It helps. Um, but we actually beat McDonald's to our last location. Um, we opened, and now they're going to open. So, hey, maybe. Who knows? Maybe they're watching there us. You you're, you're taking the rain. They like it. You're That's right. That's right. Uh, no, we... Uh, I I began practicing in Nashville in a larger city, and I actually moved back here. This is kind of my hometown, um, and began working out at a local gym and, and met Heath there, and we just kind of became friends and essentially just had uh, the same the same vision. Uh, both of us were you know very very into our craft and wanted to perfect it, and both of us kind of wanted to do things our way, and that's that's kind of what led us down the path um, to form Dynamics. Take us through the process of um, of coming together. Uh, that I think that's a common thing, but doesn't get talked about a lot. Partnership. Um, it, that that's it's a bit of an awkward thing to find somebody that you're going to work with because you know being a partner is, is very much a relationship like anything else. You spend so much time with this person, you grow a business with them, you go through ups and downs. What was that? What was that process like? Figuring out, hey, 
let, let's start a practice and, and how's it been? How have you grown through that? Well, it was, it was a long process, you know, to be honest with you. And, and our story is something that we started to share with our team. You know, our team's grown to about 50, 50 team members right now. Um, and it's something that we try to share because, you know, something like this did happen overnight. Uh, we, we planned actually for about a year. So I remember I would, I would get done with my day and Russ would get done with his, you know, at the clinics that we were working at uh, prior to this. Uh, and we would meet for, you know, hours into the night for, for pretty much a year solid, uh, you know, just writing out fine details of what, what we wanted to do exactly. Um, and then finally that came to fruition, you know, sometime I would say 12 to 14 months later. So what were you guys doing before this? Uh, I had, I had started in a private practice, uh, that was about 60 miles, uh, north of where we are right now. So I, uh, I was practicing, practicing in Nashville in a uh, sports specific clinic, um, before I decided to move back home and, and I had the intention of moving back home and going into private practice, um, and really had no idea that I was going to meet Heath. Um, so when I moved back home, I began picking up uh, contract home health during kind of my, uh, in between time to essentially pay my bills, uh, while I was trying to decide where to open a practice. And that's kind of when I met Heath. And then we began that planning process together. So take us through that process. What, what is, what did you go through? Obviously most schools don't teach you a lot about business, right? You, you finish school, you start work and you learn how to be a clinician. Most of us focus on being great clinicians and helping our communities. Right. How did you, how did you fill in that business gap? Well, yeah, you know, essentially it, there's not really a good how to book. Um, a lot of it is trial and error. You know, you, you start and, and the simplest things become the hardest things, you know, picking a name, Everybody thinks, oh, I've got a thousand names in mind that, that will work. Um, but I'll tell you, that was one of the most difficult things that we had to do was pick out a name that worked for us. Um, then, you know, rolling down all the legal processes of, of forming and deciding what kind of business you want to be. Uh, for us, it's an LLC. Um, you know, forming that partnership, um, you, you need a good attorney. So find a local attorney, I would say, uh, that can help you with all of that. Um, following that, um, I would say, and then you're looking at pick just in general, picking your location, uh, this you know, simple things. Are you going to rent? Or are you going to buy, um, down to your equipment? And then, you know, once, once you've got your, essentially those things in order, it becomes a operations I, I hate to say nightmare, but it, it kind of is when you're dealing with credentialing and contracting uh, through insurance companies. Um, so you really, we joined a network uh, that helped us with that, but there is no network to help you with Medicare and Blue Cross. So those are your big payers and, and you need, you need to do your homework uh, regarding that. What does that entail? What Take us, take us through that, that kind of insurance process, because I, I don't even think, Kirsten, we've even talked about the insurance process. We talked about cash-based a lot. We talked about just setting up businesses and then how mm -hmm. to grow a business. But that, that, that dirty detail, like you said, that, that headache of setting up insurance contracts, I don't think we've really ever dealt with. Well, and it's a... It's, it's an ever changing process. Uh, we'll just take Medicare, for instance. Um, you know, there are probably five different forms that you will use, um, from Medicare, um, to number one, credential your site, 
contractor site, credential your therapist or yourself. Um, so your benefits have to be assigned to your group. Um, there's a, and, and I'll be honest with you, there's nobody at Medicare is going to give you the same answer twice. So it becomes, that's where the kind of the nightmare comes in is this having to trial and error. Our Medicare forms that we sent in the first round, we probably sent them in three times before we ever were, uh, had a clean form. Yeah, that's not easy. Um, in terms of getting credentialed for HMOs, too, when I was starting up five years ago, when actually uh, before I went into cash base, actually it might have been seven years ago at this point, uh, it, it's hard when you have numbers at one place and you move five minutes down the street and you try to transfer those numbers. But uh, I have a pro tip for everyone later in the podcast on how I went about going to do that. I think all insurance companies will go for it, but employers wouldn't. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no doubt. And that's that's something that, you know, as a new business that you have to be prepared for is, you know, possibly working for months without getting paid. Um, and Russ and I were fortunate enough to find contract home health jobs locally where, you know, we didn't have to get paid initially from our private practice. So, you know, we, we supplemented our income with contract home health and could just influx all of our, our financials from a clinic, you know, into our account here. So yeah, that's something that, that you have to have to be prepared for, though. So what are some of the lessons you learned going through that contract stage of, of dealing with insurances that looking back, you're like, man, I wish we knew this back then. Well, mine, mine was let, let Russ handle it. <laughs> yeah. kind of, as, you, as you hear us talk about you know insurance and contracting notice that i'm letting rusty most of the talking uh, with that because you know one of the in interesting things about a partnership is that uh, if you don't already know you kind of settle into your areas of strength and and for us it's been fortunate my my areas where i'm not as strong Russ is, Russ is strong and when, where you know he is not as strong that's that's my strength so Management, insurance, contracting is definitely one of his strengths. So I'll let him take that over. So, you know, one of the, one of the main lessons to, to take out of it is, is when you're when you're doing the contracting, not necessarily the credentialing, but essentially the contracting is what you get paid for your service. Um, don't don't settle. You have to define to yourself what your service is worth. Um, and many insurances are not going to want to contract with you for what your service is worth. And I guess I would say don't don't settle for, you know, less than you've determined your worth. Um, and that's that's the main thing. You can't if they they will flood you with with patients at a at a certain rate. Um, but then you then you have to ask yourself, am I taking away from you know the people that do value my service um, for uh, such a lesser rate. So that, that's one of the main lessons. Um, this, the second lesson would be that <laughs> you have to keep trying. You're going to get, you're going to get something filled in wrong and they're going to send it back to you. And you can't just throw your hands in there. You've got to, you've got to keep, keep refilling it out and keep sending it in. I, I love the point about the value. And I think it, it's so easy that when, when you get out of school and you know, it, 
you're not taught negotiation. You're not taught how to get through that uncomfortable feeling of being rejected or not knowing or just how to deal with that situation when you're when you're dealing with companies that have billions of dollars behind them and, and you're you're this little startup clinic, you know, that that's sitting behind a McDonald's right. <laughs> trying to make it. And so what do, what do you say to that? You know, your resources are limited and it, it's a daunting task. It's it's a real David and Goliath thing. But end of that story, I'm pretty sure David won. Uh, yes. He, yeah, yes. David did win. Uh, but you know, the, the thing is, you know, when you're, when you are a startup in a small clinic, you have no bargaining power whatsoever, none. Uh, and I can remember, uh, you know, negotiating with one payer, uh, and their, the rate they wanted to contract that was half, uh, of, of our average reimbursement rate. Uh, and we wouldn't do it. And their, their answer was just see our patients for half the amount of time, you know, and that, that blew my mind that, that wow. the actual payer would, would come out and just blatantly say that. And, and of course, course, you know, we're still taking their, their insurance now, but, but it's still out of network, of course. So, you know, like Russ said, you just cannot settle, you know, for less uh, than your value is. And when, when, when you're dealing with an insurance company like that, essentially you have to ask yourself and, and an insurance company will tell you, we're looking for a partner. And, and my, my response to them is, is while yes, we're in a contract credentialing situation with you, the moment we partner with you and stop partnering with our patients, everybody loses. Um, you know, you, and that, that's essentially what we were being asked to do. Um, so that's, and you just kind of have to stick to your guns. You're going to make some mistakes. We have rates in certain insurances now that are not beneficial to us. Um, that it's, we have therapists that we're paying a certain rate to see patients at a contracted rate that we probably shouldn't have contracted. So those are just lessons to lessons to learn early on. Um, we, we should have done a better job of setting up what is the value of our service. But when it's just you and, you know, just you and your partner, you, you can see them for a certain rate and, and you're still, everything's great. Uh, when you have another therapist that you're paying to see them at that rate, that's when it Right. And, and the, the, the challenge is that, you know, when you're a startup, you, you, you have to get patients in the door. So, you know, you have to sell yourself to someone. So if you're, if you're, exclu- if you're excluding, then, then at the same time, then, then you're not selling yourself to anyone. So it kind of puts you in, a, in between a rock and a hard place initially where you've got to make some, some contracts that aren't necessarily in your favor up front initially to get patients in the door. I mean, that's just, just how it is. It's tough. I mean, business, business is tough and it's, you, you could say that all you want. Like we, we, we try, we try to be as real as possible, especially with, with students and new grads coming up that, that are very interested in business and, and they're very excited and people are teaching a lot of courses on, on how to start your businesses and you should, you should run a business, you should do this. And they don't realize the difficult and just the nuance and, and the small decisions that have so much gravitas and, and so much that weigh down on you so much that you never think about until you're doing it because your life depends on it. Your, your, uh, your family's well, growth depends on it. And then you get employees and it, it's, it's just this, 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 this feeling that it's hard to explain unless you're living through it. Right. I absolutely agree. 
Absolutely. And, and to finish the story that I started a minute ago about, uh, you know, the payer that we're not in network with, um, you know, how you combat that as you, as you grow your brand, uh, you know, we have uh, some, some groups that come to us first now before they, they sign off on a policy, you know, are you guys in network with this payer? Uh, you know, and, and we've said no, and they, they've chosen a, a different, a different payer. So, um, that's, that's kind of how you combat it. I mean, we, we're, we're still small. There's, there's no doubt about that, but as you build your brand and as you grow in these smaller communities, you know, you, you'll have, you know, other businesses that have group plans, you know, seeking your counsel on what is the best for them. So, and, and that's going to be, you know, what, what, what do you guys work with? Now I have a question for you guys. Um, it works a little differently. I, at least I believe so. I mean, I used to work for, um, I used to work in peer review and credentialing and, you know, I did all of that and I didn't set the rates or anything. I just mainly did peer review, but I know how that works now. Um, so that's what I'm wondering. I think it might be different from state to state. We just have flat rate visits and we, the only thing we do is we're either par or we're non-par. And if you're par, you accept the rate that everyone gets and you only get X number of visits or depending on some members' contracts. Again, it's been about three or four years since I've done um, anything but cash-based. But most people only have, say, 20 visits a year or 16 visits a year and you get one eval. Um, and, and if they're a really old school, like a teacher or something, they might have uh, quote unquote unlimited visits, but that's still based on medical necessity, but they're the only ones who actually are reviewed. Are you guys capitated or you guys have some sort of different plan? Because we, you know, we can't negotiate our rates. We can only say we want to be par or not. Uh, a little, a little bit of both. Um, you know, it, I think when you're getting into negotiation is more of a work comp situation um, where they're, you know, a couple of dollars here, a couple of dollars there. Uh, but a lot of our major insurance are capped. Um, Sigma, for instance, is a flat rate um, and it's capped it. But now it might have it might have 45, 60 or 90 visits. Um, Blue Cross yeah, is, is on a Medicare fee schedule type deal and they are uh, usually 20 to 40 visits. So there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of negotiation that goes on. Um, it's more the insurance tells you, Hey, this is what we will pay. And you either accept it or you don't outside of, outside of work comp. Right. Yeah. Work comp, we were, there were some said, yeah, we'll send you patients if you accept this rate. But I thought you were saying right. that for third, third party payers. And I was like, that was, that would be unusual. No, no, no. Okay. Okay. Well, now I, I take that back. I mean, but I don't, I don't know. It's, it, it is unusual because, uh, we, our main competition are, um, hospital based practices. And so their rate may be triple or quadruple what ours is. So I, there are different rates, but it's, yeah, they don't really, I guess we're not, we're not in that tier. Yeah. I've heard that, that hospitals now are getting tiered higher. And I, I mean, you know, people are grumbling about that around here, but I don't know if that ever came to be, but I mean, yeah, I don't even know how that could make it fair, obviously for the private clinic out there. I mean, why would anyone want to go there or the co-pays are lower if you go to a hospital system versus a private clinic? Well, speaking of, speaking of co-pays, let's go down that road a little bit because I feel like 
majority of people have no idea what copays, deductibles. They really don't know how their insurance works. They they feel like they have insurance, so everything is covered, and and hallelujah, it's all good. How, how do you guys? What do you guys see, and how do you address educating patients on copays and deductibles and things like that? No, I mean I, I agree. It, we we see it every day. Uh, people have the assumption that because they have insurance, you know, they're, they're going to come in and insurance covers everything, but. You know, obviously, in today's world, uh, co-pays, co-insurances, deductibles, all of that is on the rise. Um, and and I, I, mean, I would say that we've been uh, you know, negatively affected by that. But how we, how we cover that is, uh, on, on the front end, everybody's insurance gets verified. Uh, and then someone from our office management team, before we ever see the patient, sits down with that patient and goes over thoroughly through their benefits, how much exactly, or how much approximately, I should say, that, that they're going to owe. Uh, so there's there's a complete understanding before we even see them. I love that. So there's transparency. Like it, it's, it's a good Absolutely. business, like every other business in the world, except for healthcare, where you tell the people, hey, you're going to come see us. This is what it's going to cost versus a lot of a lot of other places. Just say, yeah, you're going to come see us and eventually you'll find out what it costs. Well, and even even taking that a step further, which what what we're seeing is is that even though we accept insurance, our our practice is essentially slowly becoming cash based because of the high deductibles. So right. it's an out of pocket cost. I mean, it's it's essentially, you know, it's a it's a cash based practice because the patient is paying for their services out of their pocket. What would you say is the breakdown between in network, out of network, and just pure cash based right now for you guys? I would say 85% in network and probably probably 10% cash pay and 5% out of network. Do you yeah. do you foresee that those numbers transitioning over the next couple of years? Yeah, yeah, I don't I don't think there's any doubt that it's it's going to um, like I said, I mean I right now it, it benefits us to still be in-network providers just based on getting people through the door. Um, once again, the deductibles are so high usually that it becomes a cash-based situation, but what we're seeing is, is people are seeking out who they feel is the best provider um, when they're paying out of pocket. But I, I think it'll gradually transition. I don't know how long that'll take, but I think it'll gradually transition more to cash-based. Gotcha. Yeah, that, the market is definitely shifting in that direction, especially for for businesses really established in the community. And you know, one of the, one of the main reasons Dynamics was was picked to be practice of the week, our, our first one at UpDoc Media, was because of that that ingrained, connected lifeline you have with your local community and we don't see that very often and we see it in, in in the most successful clinics is that you being part of the community is not a marketing scheme it is it is way of life you are the community you are there and and you genuinely love that um how how 
what have you done to really cultivate that connection with the community? And, um, what, what do you foresee as, as some of the, some of the best things to do to really, to really connect with communities? Um, uh, I would say the first thing that we've done is absolutely worked our tails off. I mean, it's, <laughs> there, there is no under understating how much work goes into getting yourself ingrained in the community. Um, you know, I, I would say that whenever we first open it still to this day, I mean, we, we absolutely bend over backwards for every customer that walks through the door. Uh, you know, it's all about building relationships. Our whole business model is geared around uh, the, the, the customer or the patient knowing where they want to go to physical therapy before they even go to, to their medical provider. Uh, it's don't, you can't depend on somebody else to send you patients in, 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 a, in a private practice setting. You just can't, especially when you're, when you're competing against physician-owned, uh, hospital-based practices. You know, it, it just doesn't happen. So you have to be out of the community. You have to build relationships. Uh, and, and, and to be honest with you, uh, it, takes, it takes hard work. I mean, it, it definitely does. So what strategies have you used uh, in particular to build relationships other than just doing a great job and treating everyone like gold? Have you done you know, any outreach? Have you done any kind of like pro bono things or you do anything for businesses? Yeah, whenever, when, whenever we first opened, um, you know, I, I did some pro bono work, uh, you know, with some some uh, patients that were out of network with their insurance and were a little bit leery on on, on physical therapy because they had had treatment in the past and, you know, their mindset was, well, it's just going to be like it was everywhere else. I'm not going to get better. Uh, and that, that definitely played into our, our hands of building relationships with those people because some of them were, were influential people in the community that touched a lot of other people. Um, you know, some other things that we do, we, we do, we have a sports medicine uh, aspect of our company that, that does uh, sideline coverage and, and, and on-court coverage with some of the local high schools uh, and also, you know, some local businesses that are some more non-traditional sports medicine avenues uh, like gymnastics and, and, and karate uh, businesses. Um, and then it's just getting out to community events on top of that. You know, the, the, the Relay for Life, which is a local uh, chapter that raises money, uh, you know, for cancer research. Um, and just doing your homework in each community that you're in to to get a lineup of, you know, what, what exactly are big events in this community and how can we be involved? So then when you, when you start to grow and you eventually you, you reach a tipping point, right? Like you, you, you get ingrained, your community loves you. Eventually the, you see the, the growth chart kind of even out, right? You, you hit a plateau that always happens. So you, you have to start thinking about, okay, how do we, how do we grow? How do we bring in more patients? How do we open up more clinics? What has that thought process been for you guys? And what have you done to take you to the next level? Well, so, you know, it took us, you know, I think we were here for two years before we opened our, our second clinic. Um, now we're at five and I'll tell you, our strategy has kind of changed, um, over the last five years. You know, we initially set a goal that, Hey, we thought we could open a clinic a year. Um, and once, you know, through trial and error, um, of, just, just basing on a clinic and a location, what we found was, is that we needed to develop a clinician a year and then let them, you know, further that whatever clinic that they were going to go into. Um, so we, we really are building our practice around our, our people, um, not 
our market. Uh, we, we're to the point now where we feel like we've put together a strong enough system um, and a strong enough brand that if, if we've developed that clinician um, and they've essentially gone through our, what we call dynamics university, that they will be ready to, to succeed in any market. Um, and that's, that's kind of, that's really shifted our, our thought process. Um, in order to do that, we now, we have someone who's in charge of recruiting. Uh, we have someone who's in charge of marketing development and we also have a COO, um, which frees up our time a lot, but in order, you, you know, that's, that's a sacrifice that I think many practice owners aren't willing to make is to give up the reins to certain aspects of their business. Um, and only do the, and do only the things that, essentially no one else can do for the company. Um, and that's kind of where Heath and I are transitioning is, is into a position where we are doing the things that no one else in this company can do, but us. Well, you, you guys said in the beginning, when, when you're looking at partnerships, you partner with your strengths or you partner with your weaknesses and you focus on your strengths. And we've been preaching that from probably day one of this podcast and everything we do. It's just like, I, I wrote an entire article on that, that we were taught as kids to focus on being well-rounded, which means figure out what you're not good at and, and work on that instead of doubling down on your strengths. And it's not unique to me. I know Gary, Gary Vaynerchuk, uh, talks about that all the time and that a lot of success people do. It's just when you're good at something, you're good at that for, for a reason. And again, like every other structured business aside from healthcare has these positions in place for that reason, because these people are, that's their superpower. They're good in that position. You have your CEO, CFO, COO to make, to help the company grow. That's a growth mindset. And you guys are investing in that versus I feel like most clinic owners are not, not most a lot think of the, well, I have to spend this money on these people versus investing in these people to grow a team. And that's big, that's big. And then it's, it's allowing you to grow. So you, you mentioned you have a recruiter, obviously you're investing in people, which, which is usually a smart bet to, to invest, um, internally and have, have a culture of growth. Um, one of the most common things we hear from, from clinic owners is, is talent that it's finding talent is incredibly hard. And, and a lot of DPT students are, are very eager and aggressive now, which is, which is awesome. What do you, what do you go about in terms of recruiting? How, how do you do that? And who are you looking for as, as the person to, to bring in? So, you know, our recruiting process, we, we essentially, um, are almost developing a, uh, a depth chart, um, that, that we use, uh, from job fairs or within our company, people who, uh, might've had a friend that they went to PT school with. So essentially our, our recruiter is developing the depth chart. Um, we'll use a star system and, and we'll essentially pick the ones that we think um, are driven and will fit with our team and our culture. Um, we'll start with that bunch and, and we'll try to get them in for an interview of any kind. I mean, we use all kinds of social media for recruiting. Um, a lot of it, I'll just be honest with you. A lot of it's just Facebook messaging. People seem to be more comfortable with the messaging type uh, system. At some point you've got, just got to get down to an old fashioned phone call, but, um, to get the conversation started a lot of times it's, it's Facebook or social media or texting. So you guys are playing fantasy football essentially. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. pretty much, yeah, pretty much. Uh, draft war room, yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> you got to make it fun, man. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If you're not having fun, what's the point? That's right. Um, awesome. So going, going forward, what's the plan? You have five clinics now. What, what's if, if, if you don't mind sharing, what, what do you guys want to accomplish moving forward aside from taking over the world? Yeah, besides that, um, but like, like Russ said, you know, our, our goal initially was a, a clinic a year. Uh, now our goal is a, a clinician a year. Uh, and like you said, you know, we feel that, that with our brand uh, and with that clinician that's been developed, uh, they have a strong say in, in, in where they go. So, you know, where where they feel comfortable going, where they feel like, you know, it, might, it might be their hometown, uh, but, but where they want to go, uh, we can replicate that model, you know, in that, in that location and when we feel like it's going to take off. So our, our goal now is, is one clinician a year. And I think that as we scale and as we expand and as we, we continue to brand, uh, you know, the goal will be more than one clinic a year eventually. Uh, but I would say that that's still our goal right now. And building on that is essentially our, we not only have a, a development goal, but a recruiting goal of, of three to four clinicians, uh, per year uh, for the foreseeable future, which that will obviously increase as well. Take, take I think us I know up for you guys. I'm sure we'll, we'll we'll hear a few few people that will know for them after this podcast. Um, take us through Dynamics University a little bit. So, so the, one of the biggest things is branding, um, and we found that early on um, that you know you in order to to grow you need a strong brand. Um, that brand has to represent something. Um, and one of the main things is some consistency. While we don't want to take away all of our therapists, you know, any individual techniques and things that they like, um, there has to be a foundation. Um, so we developed uh, Dynamics University uh, based on, number one, our, our first five or six pages of, of the university manual are regarding um, customer service, our core values. Everyone essentially has to read a book. So when they come into us, they have to read Delivering Happiness. Um, it's a Tony Shea, the founder of Zappos. Um, so they all read that book. We, we essentially, we have review points throughout this university into year long process. Um, so we, we go over that first part of customer service, our core values, what we represent, what our logo and our brand represents. Then moving into more of, you know, treatment techniques, um, just standard stuff, you know, billing questions, uh, any, any processes or operations that we feel that most therapists should know, they go through that as well. And that, that, that first 10 pages of the university, that's for every employee of the company, whether they're a physical therapy technician part-time or the COO. And that's kind of, that's, you know, we, we've developed our protocols, um, for younger therapists as a guideline, we developed our own protocols that are in the, in the university, um, as well as just about any manual technique that you, you can imagine, uh, along with, uh, homemade pictures. <laughs> Great pictures. Yeah. Great pictures. It's proprietary. So they're better than like the stick figures that most PTs draw. Oh yeah, they are. They're they're real life. Yeah, they're they're actual pictures. Yeah, yeah. They are. Like okay. like real life, like a uh, Kung Fu Panda. Yeah, three D Kung Fu Panda. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> yeah, I, I love the customer customer service aspect of it. I remember um, years back, I, I one of 
a course I took a year long course with Jim Meadows to get the manual therapy certified. And I don't know if you guys know Jim or not. He was one of the founders of NIOMT, but he's like a big burly British guy, um, you know, taught by Syriax and then a bunch of people. And, and he has a very burly exterior. But one thing he used to say is, you know, the, he would ask, you know, the difference between a patient and a customer. And we go, oh, well, well, you know, tell us the patient or the difference, Jim. And he say, patients are dependent on you and you are dependent on customers. And, um, you know, that that's kind of stuck in my head. And that, that's so true. Like you, you have to have that mindset initially that these people are coming in as customers and you need to treat them that way. So you guys, w- with you starting that way, again, it, it's a very important perspective and mindset that you establish for everyone at your company that, that obviously has worked very well. I mean, it's, it's a truly customized experience. I mean, I can remember when we first opened, you know, I knew what kind of music the patient liked when they came in. I knew if they liked their pillow doubled or singled, I knew how much water to put in the cup. I mean, I knew exactly what everybody wanted. And then we tried to carry that on, uh, you know, just that unique, customized, customer specific experience for each person that walks through the door. So, everybody feels like family that, that walks through the doors of dynamics. That's, that's what we try to create. 90, 95% of people will not remember what exercise they did, but 95% of people will remember the conversation that they had Absolutely. with you. Absolutely. And that, that, that stays with everyone. And then like towards the end of my, when I was practicing regularly, and I think we talked about this is, is that's what I enjoyed the most. Not, not them telling me how they how they'll feel, which was important, obviously, but it was, it was, me, you know, when they come in, I couldn't, uh, I was excited to ask them, Hey, how was your daughter's softball game? And to hear the answer or when a patient came in and said, man, I saw this movie, couldn't wait to tell you. Like to me, that was, that was the best feeling as a clinician at that point. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, our, our, our whole goal, and I think I've told you this before, Gene, um, our whole goal is to become primary care PTs, uh, you know, in our, in our flagship location, direct access is easily the, the largest referral source. Um, you know, and I have in rest us too, we have assessments that come in every week as their first stop and let us kind of be that gatekeeper for them. And that's, that's the goal for, for all of our clinicians here. And I think that's for our profession as a whole, that, that should be the goal as well. Absolutely. Well said. Yeah, what, I was say, what steps are you taking for that? Because that uh, after being in business, again, my last um, HMO based or non-cash based business, we were about 70, 75% direct access after about two years. Um, and that was mostly just through direct patient marketing. What steps mm-hmm. are you guys doing to transition to that? Well, I think it's taken us a little bit longer, Urson, and, and the reason is because, uh, you know, it's it's been about building trust uh, and, and building relationships within the community, and over time, I think that we've seen the turnaround with that, you know, just in the last couple of years, our direct access has exploded in our, our mile and location, and I think that's the main reason. I mean, it's just taken us that long, you know, for that level of trust, uh, and, and I, to get our name out as, you know, know, that, that primary care PT in this area, uh, you know, we're starting to expand our marketing avenues as far as that goes. But, but initially it was just, you know, pretty much direct patient marketing since it was just, just resting me. Right. Did the HMOs reimburse without a script? Uh, no. Uh, okay. No, See, so, that's why, that's why it was easier for us. No. And, and I, I kind of count direct access, you know, even if somebody requires a doctor's order, uh, you know, some docs, we've got, uh, you know, uh, 
we're on the level with where we can call and just discuss with them. Uh, and, and they send an order or, uh, you know, I, and I'll count direct access for some of our clinicians. If, if the patient comes in first and they send them to the doctor and get them back, I'll let them count that as, as, as direct access because you know, we're, we're actually tracking that here. Uh, just because I think it's, I think it's a, a good re reflection of, of performance. Awesome. So if you guys, let's, um, let, let's finish this out. I, I have a feeling, um, we're going to have to get you guys back on. Cause I think, um, I think this, this conversation is going to resonate with a lot of people, but, but to finish it, finish it out. If you one tip for, for budding business owners or, or upcoming students that are going to graduate that have that mindset of getting into business, your, your one piece of advice for them to kind of cling on to. Uh, I'll, I'll let Russ go first. I'll finish. It's teamwork. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one piece of advice word of mouth will make or break you okay mine was going to be wake up every morning wanting to dominate have that, have that mindset every day just wanting to be the best be epic every day that's, that's right that's right and, and, yeah. and, and even going further than wanting to wake up every day and dominate Take, take action. Be actionable. I love it. I mean, that, that's what it's all about. There, there's plenty of people that, that talk about it. Very few actually do it. That's right. Yeah. And uh, operations become complicated around 20 employees. <laughs> How many employees that? do you have now? Uh, around 50. I can't even imagine. <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, word of mouth. A gentleman told us that back when we were seeing almost no one, um, and he was getting great care. And he he said he said, "Fellas, you just you just keep working, keep treating people right, and word of mouth will take care of you." And at the time, you know, we knew some other guys who were in private practice who who had physicians who were steady referral sources, and that just wasn't us. You know, no one knew us. Um, but he was right. Word of mouth is by far the best. Um, especially, especially in these, these small communities. And that's why I say uh, it doesn't matter that the, the size, I mean, we, we pull patients from an hour away, uh, you know, that, that drive to this clinic. Um, and, but when you're in a town of 6,000 people, word, word travels fast. It does. Agreed. Yep. And then, and then it's scaling that word. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Have that reputation. On that, that's right. Exactly. It's, it's a solid foundation. Uh, awesome. And Ross, Ross, when you said, um, you know, live or die with the word, with the word of mouth. And then Heath, you talking about dominate for some reason, I thought of Van Damme, like I just imagine <laughs> I got talking and breaking. I'll go do some, I'll go do some sideline coverage when y'all talk about Van Damme and Chuck Norris. <laughs> pizza. I don't know why it always comes I'm, down to pizza. Yeah, I'm, making, I'm, I'm making my meal out of sunflower seeds on the sideline. You guys are talking about Van Damme. <laughs> Listen, I just harvested sunflower seeds. I, I taught my son how to harvest the sunflower, pick the seeds, soak overnight, roast them. Dude, you've got it's, way uh, too much time on your hands. Yeah. Can you come down here, please? Really Time-consuming. Just stop by the gas station, it's, man. Yeah. You doing some contract work? Uh, you open for some on, contract man. work? 
<laughs> you, 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 you lazy bums come on Gosh. now do a little gardening now come on it's like it's like cut, to cut the sunflowers is it was labor day give me a break it was um, <laughs> take two seconds to cut although i made a movie out of it so that took a little bit more time oh, yeah. no, it looked like it took you two hours to make one movie it's because i'm that good person it took me like 15 minutes wow yeah um <laughs> but they're delicious sunflower but see that the, the, the whole thing with getting your own sunflower seeds is you can control the amount of salt in them and who wants uh, to do so that like, that's the best part <laughs> you, look right, I, I, I play baseball up in, i play baseball up into college and I, I would eat like one or two bags of sunflower seeds a day probably since i was like 12 years old so I, I, sunflower seeds is one of my favorite snacks ever but when, when my body my when my um sodium potassium pump is mostly sodium i think it, it's time to to switch things to a little bit less salt so you just started growing your own <laughs> Sorry, girl, my oh own. my! Mm. Yep, Mm-mm-mm. that that's how we're ending this conversation <laughs> on on growing sunflower seeds. Well, I also had a pro tip that I promised earlier on that I wanted to share to the new grads and people who were leaving the practice. So, you know, Gene always talks about we can't tell you whether you should start your own practice, and everyone always wants to jump immediately into cash-based. And when I, when I started my own practice, again, I was 12 years out, and it wasn't cash-based. It was... <laughs> you're going to say you're 12 years old. <laughs> well, yeah, I was 12 years old. I was the Diggy Hauser. Um, you got to even know who that is. But anyway, yeah, um, yeah so what I, one of my HP. employees left before I did, as usual, I was out on some kind of paternity leave when I was transitioning between one business and another, and it, it seems like I'm always on paternity leave. And you have like um, 20 kids. He he got his he got all the HMOs to transfer his numbers to his new practice, which as you guys know, that is not easy. And you even said, you know, when you open up a new practice, because when you work for someone, even if it's five minutes down the street, that location is where all your numbers are tied to your, your provider numbers. Um, but what he figured it out is that your provider numbers are tied to your NPI and they're not tied they may be tied to that location, but they're only tied to the location of the database. And your employer thinks they own the numbers, but the employer doesn't own the numbers. The numbers are tied to your NPI. So what he did is he just either called, faxed, emailed, however it took to communicate the um, to the HMOs and said, look, I want you to add this address to my um, my contract. So I'm also going to be practicing at this address. And they were, they said, sure, we're going to add this address. So, so he added his new address that he was waiting to break ground on. Um, and then when he moved there, he was already automatically in network. Then when the, our old, our old um, place we used to work for said, Hey, this employee no longer works there. They just removed that address, but the numbers continued to exist. Hmm. So that, I mean, it could been a holdup for anyone who wants either wants to start their own practice or even just move from one practice to another um, because they don't, you know, all of a sudden you can't see community blue advantage or you can't see senior blue or you can't see a certain plan or you can't see a Medicare patient. Uh, Medicare was still tougher because Medicare is Medicare and everything is difficult. But for HMOs, that is a way, um, because if you guys hire someone and you want their numbers right away, that's all you have to do. Just add the address before they leave. Even if even if they're reassigning their their benefits to us, it's just adding a new address onto their existing par, or yeah. their, their existing provider numbers. 
Because if they're reassigning, it's just it just takes you have to. How long does it usually take um, to reassign? Oh, sometimes a day. Sometimes a day. Yeah, ninety days. Yeah, right. Is what we run into. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So you could do both. You could change the address. Tell them to change the address initially, and then go through with the. It's yeah. It's not. Don't yeah. it, it can't be change an address. It has to be add an address. Added right. Yeah. 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 I like it. That's two pro tips in this in this episode. One, start a clinic right next to McDonald's, and two is add your address. Or Tim Hortons if you're up here. But is there is there any potential for reimbursement to get confused then? Uh, no, because you bill out of the address. Okay. And also, technically, they wouldn't be working at both locations, right? They would be. They would have left the one, and you, they would have started billing at on this certain day. You know. Is that if they're billing as a as an individual or as a group? Oh, you know, in New York, they only bill as individuals. Yeah, see, we, we bill as we bill as group. Um, so everything essentially through. So it's probably just a little different. You know, like our Blue Cross is is um, built through our group. Okay, oh, which so makes things even more confusing. Well, it might be, right. So it's a pro tip for some, but not for all. <laughs> yeah. For a second, for a yeah. second there, I thought you guys were still talking about McDonald's. Like, <laughs> will they will they build to McDonald's? Like, if they're working, in <laughs> they might. They might. That'd be a nice little surprise for them. Um, but yeah, first of all, that's not a joke. Actually, like people look where McDonald's is and they build businesses around there because McDonald's spends millions of dollars doing uh, market analysis of a location. Mm -hmm. And they only put buildings in, in highly traffic areas that they foresee growth. So if you're thinking about putting a location somewhere, look for a McDonald's, look for a Chick-fil-A, look for a fast food place. Um, they're, they're usually a safe bet and, and, a, and a cheaper way to do a, a, a quick market analysis. Chipotle, yeah, for sure. <laughs> you, hit, you hit the jackpot if you're like in a shopping center with a McDonald's, Chipotle, and a, and a Chick-fil-A. Just go ahead. Go ahead, take out a loan, and then pay that, that building yeah. lease, whatever it costs. Just yeah. do it. You get so fat, though. It'll be, it'll be worth it. It'll be, it'll be so worth it. Um, all right, guys. If, um, if listeners have questions, where can they find you? Um, where can they track you down? Anything like that? Uh, check out our Facebook page, first of all, um, Dynamics Physical Therapy and Fitness. Uh, and then they can also go through our website, uh, dynamicsptandfitness.com. Uh, either one of those would be a great place. Awesome. awesome. So check those guys out. We'll put, uh, we'll put all the information on, um, the Up doc media podcast page and, uh, we'll put all the contact info for, um, for Russ and Heath, uh, guys, thanks for joining us. Look forward to chatting more. It was, uh, it was really, really a fun chat. All right. Hope you enjoyed that episode. It really was fun talking with those guys because not only do they get it, but they execute, they go after it. They put out a product that they care for because they're, they're part of the community. They live it, they breathe it, and they, they have a vision, a plan for the future. And I think if, if more PTs had that mindset to partner with their weaknesses and focus and double down on their strengths, to actually grow a company, to, to give away pieces of it, because that's one of the best ways to grow. I think we would be in an incredibly better place as as a profession and as a growing, expanding profession. So if, if you enjoyed that podcast, let us know. Tweet at us at Therapy Insiders, which is me, at the OMPT, which is Urson, at Joe DPT, which is Joe. Obviously, Heath and Russ gave you their information. You can check them out on the web. You can check out their Facebook page. 
Uh, I highly recommend you do that and reach out to those guys. They're cool guys to chat with, and I'm sure they'll be more than happy to talk with you. Definitely, definitely a, a company to keep an eye on. They're gonna they're gonna be doing some big, big things, and they already are. It's only gonna get bigger. Let us know what you thought. You can always reach us email as well. Might not get back to you for God knows how long because me personally, I hate email. So um, Gene at UpDoc Media for me or info at UpDoc Media for the main account and um, Twitter. Twitter is usually the best. But we want to hear. We want to hear input. We want to have a conversation going. So make sure you hit us up somewhere on social media. Um, and you know, we we love chatting with you. It's been great. All the emails that we've gotten over the last uh, year or so has been tremendous. So as always, thank you. And if you have a minute, please go to iTunes, leave us a review. It really helps us out. helps uh, helps us know that you're listening and to to let us know what kind of uh, stuff that you're interested in, what you're liking, what you're not liking. So thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you again next week. It's good to be back.